0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm fairly certain that each one of us has at some point in time found ourselves sitting in a waiting room. Waiting usually at a doctor's office, or in an airport for a flight to take off, or in line at the Department of Motor Vehicles. We're there for far longer than we'd like to be, far longer than we'd hoped. And usually, we're there with several other people in similar predicaments. During one of my internships prior to ordination, I was assigned as chaplain to the emergency room in an urban hospital in Connecticut. And in that place, people waited, not just for the few moments for the doctor to be ready for them, not for the few hours to work through that red tape at the DMV. No, they waited for hours upon hours. Waiting to see a doctor. And every single person in that place was suffering in some kind of way. In body or in mind. And they had to just keep on waiting. Trusting that the staff was prioritizing those most extreme emergencies. I got to sit with them. I got to pray with them. It was a privilege. And I think as Christians we find ourselves in a waiting room. Somewhat similar to that hospital emergency room where I worked. As Christians, we are waiting, and we are waiting for the finalization of our redemption. Because we experience a gap between our past and our future. And we experience this gap in at least three different areas. And these areas act like concentric circles going out, radiating out from the very core of our being. This first place, this outer circle we hear about in our first lesson from Romans 8, where St. Paul tells us that creation has gone wrong, that creation is subjected to futility following the fall of Adam and Eve. And truly, I experience the beauty of creation every day. I don't know about you. This week it was a hummingbird uh, sniffing around my flowers and the beauty of my flowers themselves, the warm sun and even a break from the heat this week. All of these things are beautiful things. We experience the beauty of creation, but we know and we experience also that all creation is in bondage to decay. And we see this dissolution in the disasters of nature, like tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes, volcanoes, all of these show this decay, just like widespread famine and disease. We even see this decay in the human systems around us, in their deceptions and corruptions, in the way the world is not as it ought to be. We feel it. We feel it deeply in that outer world. Level. But then in Matthew's gospel, Jesus brings it even closer to home. He reminds us that even here in this place, in the church itself, all is not perfect. Not yet. Jesus tells us the parable of the wheat and the tares, showing his first disciples and us today too that all is not right. Not yet, even in the midst of the people of God. Weeds spring up, even in God's garden. The church is no utopia, not yet, because now, even here, unbelief lingers in our hearts at times. And we see sometimes that hurt people still hurt people, even when they ought to know better. And it's disturbing when we see that, because we know that we ought to know better. And so we experience this decay. We see that all is not right even in the church. That hits further, deeper in. And then on that third level, even to our very hearts, when we're honest, we realize that we ourselves are far from perfect. This decay strikes us personally. In our innermost being, we see our own failures for what they are. The persistence of sin in its many outward forms, and then within, our pride, our hardness of heart, our unbelief. We echo St. Paul's dilemma from Romans 7. I am of the flesh, sold under sin. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Personally, I've found that nothing reminds me of this truth more than traveling with someone in a car while I'm driving. You see, one of the privileges of being single is that I get to drive usually on my own, and so when I'm alone in the car, I can remain in deeper denial about uh, how bad I drive. So whether it is that I'm passing in the right lane or failing to yield to oncoming traffic, I break the rules without even realizing that I'm doing it. And then I have the gall to get morally, morally outraged when someone else breaks those same rules. Uh, I had uh, the opportunity to be driving down a highway in Massachusetts with my beloved cousin next to me in the car. And um, I happened that time to exclaim over a slower driver, who was ahead of me in the passing lane. And then, about 20 minutes later, I was saying to the rearview mirror, oh, no, you don't, as someone was trying to barrel down behind me at 90 miles an hour. And as I said that, what did my cousin do? But she burst into laughter. Thank goodness she didn't scorn me or shame me. But her laughter uh, opened my eyes to my own hypocrisy, my sin. I do the thing I don't want to do, unconsciously at times, without even realizing it. We do the things we don't want to do. And as Christians, this phenomenon is painful. It is a kind of suffering to realize that we do this. It makes us wince, because we know that we are not as we should be. It's almost like, if I was being very dramatic, I would say it's almost like being shackled to a only to realize that you yourself are the corpse. So in the midst of all of this despair, the despair caused by the suffering that we experience in these three circles of decay, do we lose hope? No, of course not. Paul's words remind us that we, in fact, do now have a new Lord, that though we might still sometimes do the things we don't want to do, We are no longer in bondage to sin. We are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And we are debtors, not to the flesh, but to our new Lord, Jesus Christ. And as Jesus said from the cross, it is finished. At that moment, we are forgiven. We're forgiven of our sins and freed from the just condemnation of judgment. But Paul's promise holds true for us today, too. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is not finished with us yet. Thank goodness. He has not abandoned us in this in-between time, in this in-between state. And so in the waiting room that is the Christian life, we might feel impatient with where we are or with where others are or with Where the church is or with where the world is. Do you know that one of the hardest parts of waiting, I think, is not knowing how long your wait will be. And so I find myself amused and grateful now when I call AT&T customer service. Instead of waiting interminably, which I still do, but at least they have the uh, decency to say over the phone while I'm waiting on hold. There's a little voice that will say, you are now third in line for the next available customer service agent. There's a level of relief in knowing that the waiting will one day be over. And so, we too, we'd like to know, we need to know how long, oh Lord, how long until all is made right. Scripture is clear there will indeed be an end to sin, an end to suffering, and an end to evil in the world. And in myself. That end will be the day that Jesus returns. We hear that so clearly in the parable of the wheat and the tares. At harvest day, those two plants that have been enmeshed for a time will be reaped. And then they will be separated. They will be free. The wheat will be free. And in the meantime, God has not abandoned us. No, he has sent his Holy Spirit to live within us, empowering us beyond our own abilities, even to obey him despite ourselves. God's Holy Spirit is a continuation of that mercy that he extends to us from the cross. Because the um, Holy Spirit is that first fruit, that first foretaste of all of the fullness of God's goodness that will be unleashed upon us on that final day. And so while we wait in the midst of painful uncertainties, in the midst of the suffering of this life, we long, we wait eagerly, and we wait patiently. And our groaning, as Paul says, the groaning of all creation is a special kind of groaning. It's not like the cry of a dying person. No, this groaning is groaning of um, discomfort, suffering, longing, but it's groaning likened to a woman in labor. As the great Charles Spurgeon said, we are panting, longing after something greater, better, nobler, and it is coming. It is not the pain of death we feel, but the pain of life. We are thankful to have such a groaning. The man that groans after perfection. The man that is discontented with his sinful life. The man that feels he cannot be easy till he is made like Christ. That is the man who is blessed indeed. So we are blessed. As Jesus says to his disciples in Luke's gospel, when we experience these birth pangs, this suffering, look up. And raise your heads, for your redemption is drawing near. And so we do. We look up. We look up to that green hill long ago and far away. That place where God himself took all the sin, all the suffering, and all the evil in the world upon his own shoulders. Our Lord Jesus bore that burden up to Golgotha. Where he suffered to the point of death. Death on a cross. And the gift of his very own self. Marks the end of our judgment. And the beginning of the end of human sin and suffering. And so we look up. We look back to the cross. And we look forward to the bright future that is ours in Christ. Because at the last day. When our number is called up. In the waiting room of life. On that last day, judgment day, we will not receive the judgment that our sin deserves. No, instead, we will receive the fulfillment of the promise, the shiny new eternal life, freedom like the windfall of an abundant harvest, the redemption of our bodies through the resurrection from the dead. In short, we will receive glory. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, as we wait eagerly and patiently for the redemption of our bodies, for our sinful flesh to be destroyed, would you once again shower upon us the abundance of your grace so that we might walk through these days of longing and waiting with eyes fixed upon you and with trusting hearts radiant that our certain hope is in you. In your name we pray this. Amen.